This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Andrea. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Annie. I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome. I'm so good. So why don't you take us back to the beginning? Where did it all start for you with alcohol? Yeah, totally. Thanks for asking. So I started drinking around 14. Um, I grew up in a home with a father that was a very problematic drinker. Um, So you never knew what you were going to get, you know, at the home life. Um, It was a traumatic upbringing for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a part of my personality was I was an extrovert and I'm very social. So my outlet was always, always my friends from grade school, right? Um, and then going into high school. So really where I took my first drink was age 14. Um, I went to a Catholic high school in Iowa and awesome high school. Um, Like many high schools, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol, right? And um, I was very social. And when I, you know, took that first drink with some friends, I loved it. Um, It was an escape for me away from everything that I was, you know, going through in my home life. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we had a lot of fun in high school, me and my friends, but we drank all the time. Um, There was someone in our high school that created fake IDs. And so I had my first fake ID at age 14. And I was going to bars on a regular basis at a very young age. Um, not only were we in bars, which is crazy to think about, like a 14, 15 year old in a bar. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to to really think about that now at age 40, that my young, my young self was at bars at that age. It's, it's really sometimes hard for me to process. Um, but that was the reality. And so not only were we using our fake ideas, IDs to buy, um, you know, it was mostly beer at that age to buy beer. Um, we were also having keg parties pretty much weekly. So because a lot of people in my class had fake IDs, we were buying kegs and we were going out in the middle of nowhere in Iowa in open fields and having these like cake parties. And I loved it. Um, we would play a lot of, you know, a lot of nineties music back in the day. Um, a lot of, you know, socializing, um, we did a lot of keg stands. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but basically they lift you up on the keg and you, you drink from being in the air. Um, 
we were what we called shotgunning beers all the time. So you basically put a hole at the bottom and then you open it and see who can drink it the quickest. Um, and we were, you know, doing shots all the time. Um, and so drinking was really in high school, a way for me to socialize because I was that extrovert that loved being around my friends. It just took that to the next level for me. Um, and it was, you know, subconsciously for me, a way to really escape a lot of sadness that I was going through. I didn't know how to recognize that at a very young age, but as an adult now looking back, I was, I was a very sad um, kid in a way um, with everything that was going on in my home life. And so alcohol provided this really fun outlet for me, you know, and the party didn't stop after that. I went to college at the University of Iowa and the party just kept on going, you know, and I know that that's pretty common in most colleges. Um, my, my college town was, um, was really wild and I was too. Um, you know, I come, up, I come from very humble upbringing. So I had a job very, very early on in my life. My first job is at, was at 13. Um, and I've never really stopped working. Um, and so in college, to pay for college, I was a waitress at a very well-known kind of high-end restaurant in our college town. And, you know, that's when I started really getting into the fine wines and, and you know, we were doing wine tastings all the time and, and really talking about that with our customers. And, and I felt so sophisticated in my drinking in college that I was drinking these like fine red wines and I was starting to get really into craft beers and, you know, buying, you know, bourbon and whiskey. And it made me feel like I had this edge on people um, to, to have that, that style of, of drinking and kind of, you know, my whole life, I, I always knew I drank a bit differently than other, than others. I always felt like I just wanted that that one other drink. It was it was really never enough. Um, so got through college by the grace of God, like barely barely graduated, um, and then moved to Chicago and took my first job in software sales. And so I've been in sales now for seventeen years, selling technology, and I've lived you know all over Phoenix. Um, Chicago. I was in Silicon Valley for five years and have worked for some of the biggest tech companies in the world. And, you know, alcohol has been a big part of my career. Um, you know, as, as a lot of, um, you know, sales professionals will do, they'll, they'll close a deal and they'll go out and celebrate. They'll take a customer to a lunch and we might have some drinks. We'll take them to dinner and we'll have drinks. You know, a lot of the gifts that, that we would give um, over the years at different companies to customers was booze. Um, we would send them bottles of fine wine. Well, I'm sorry, what was that, Annie? Yeah, I just remember that in my corporate <laughs> experience as well. It was like always <laughs> glasses and bottles and taking people out and all this stuff. Yep. Totally. And so like how we connected with customers and prospects, a lot of times was over 
over, over drinks, um, over sending them, you know, gifts of um, wine and, and truly whining and dining them that was a big part of, has been a big part of my career. Um, so for about five years of my career, I traveled about once to twice a week. So I would go um, mostly domestic, but there was for sure international travel and, you know, drinking was like my companion. So I would have some drinks at the hotel bar, potentially. I would get on the plane, be working on proposals on a four or five hour flight and have a couple drinks. And then maybe still be working back at the hotel room that night and, you know, maybe have a nightcap really at the hotel bar or in my hotel room. So, you know, drinking was a big part of really what I thought at the time kind of getting me through, you know, my traveling and just mm -hmm. my high intensity, you know, career because in, in technology sales, you know, you want to be a top performer within the company. You know, there's, there's a lot of gratification from that. And I really liked how that made me feel, you know, I want to be a top performer. So I would work around the clock, um, sometimes, you know, 55, over 55 hours a week, um, many weeks. Um, and, you know, alcohol was, was always there. I, I ended up getting my MBA and big part of my MBA program was, was drinking. We, um, they called it an executive in MBA programs. They have like different types of programs. And this was like the executive MBA. So it's people that are currently working that have full-time jobs that are executives. Um, and we all do the program together for 18 months and we would do a project. We would, um, do case studies. We would take exams all together and we would go out and party like multiple times a week. <laughs> and so alcohol has just been so ingrained, um, you know, not only from like a very young age um, in high school, you know, in college, and then just thinking of my career, um, you know, I really used alcohol, you know, every step of the way. Um, and if I were to think of my intimate relationships, um, with men, I would say there's like four significant relationships. You know, once again, I chose men that drank at my level or drank more. Um, I, and I wasn't consciously looking for that. It was definitely on a subconscious level, but um, you know, many times over my life, if, if someone wasn't a drinker, that was kind of a, a deal breaker for me. Um, and so really that's kind of where it started. And any questions at this point, Annie? Yeah. So um, when, you, when it was a deal breaker and, and you were actually like not even consciously choosing men who also drank, did you have anybody in your life who wasn't a drinker? We definitely have uh, family members that are... Um, I would, call, I would call normal drinkers. Um, but a, most of my friends and most all my intimate relationships were, you know, people that we could keep up with each other in that way. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because I remember the first person I had in my life who was like, 
not a drinker. And I was just curious because I was wondering if that for me, it was a, when she stopped drinking, it wasn't a message of, oh yeah, this is great. Come over here. It was almost a message of like, oh, this sucks. Be really lucky you're not over here. And so I think like in some ways that image of what it was like to not be a drinker stuck with me and kept me almost like from exploring it. So I was just curious because I, I think it's interesting to think about that we do choose people to be around us that make us feel more normal and it's totally natural, right? So then what happened after that? Totally, and that's a really good point. I, a point I want to mention is that I was able to moderate when I wanted to. So throughout my, throughout my life, um, if I knew I was going to a dinner or some sort of party, um, you know, a good amount of my time, I just would think I would like self-coach myself and have these rules that I created to myself of, okay, tonight you're having two drinks or it's Friday. It's a dinner party. You can have three. And, you know, that's exhausting. And I did that like most of my life. And I think that's what kept me in it for so long is that I really could moderate if I wanted to, although it was exhausting to make those rules. Um, and, and also I was really good at, um, you know, a lot of my heaviest drinking was alone. Um, and, and it's hard to admit that because it's, it, it's sad to admit that. Um, so around my, you know, mostly my family, a lot of my family has never, you know, seen excessive drinking from me, maybe a couple times throughout my entire life. But, um, you know, most of my heavy drinking was alone. I would get a bottle of wine or beer or, you know, whatever it was. And I would, you know, drink alone. And so that's a big part of my story is that a lot of my drinking was behind closed doors and it was very, it was very, I kept it very private. Did you, um, so um, did you have like a lot of people who report that actually say that that secrecy was some of the allure for them? Like that secrecy made them feel um, somehow either empowered or like it was some version of self-care. Did you experience that at all? That's interesting. Um, I think for me is I grew up in a home where on the external, we always wanted to appear that everything was great. So externally, everyone saw my family, my entire life as this perfect family and behind closed doors, it was another story. And I think I took that my entire life. I wanted everyone in the external to see Andrea's in Silicon Valley. She's working for this, you know, you know, this professional networking site headquartered out of San Francisco, and she's one of the top performers there. She has her MBA. She has all these rich friends and family. And I loved that image. And a lot of that image was true. They just didn't see the other side. So I think that um, it was it was really like the double life. I, I wanted to present an image, which I was that image, but I was omitting to the world what I was doing behind closed doors, which was using alcohol as an escape and as a way to deal with mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, really anything I was going through in the moment. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
All right, so then what happened? So, I always knew in the back of my head, you just drink, you know, a little more than the average person, or you think about it a little more. And, you know, the last, I would say, I always questioned it. It was like this inner voice, this inner spirit, which I would call God, this inner knowing that always knew, like, I, there has to be something better than this. There has to be something better than being expected to drink in this society, you know, having alcohol around you, any, you know, function that you participate in. And so I had started to have a really heart to heart conversation with my therapist. And I had never told a therapist in the past the truth about my drinking. And I started telling this, you know, this therapist um, the truth, which was like the truth of how much I was drinking. And, and I told her this about two and a half years ago. And she was the first person besides some of my drinking friends that I was really honest with. And we just would, would have conversations about it, just very comfortable conversations about it. We started to talk about this idea of you don't need a rock bottom in life um, to realize that alcohol just isn't serving you anymore. We don't need to get to a rock bottom to decide I quit alcohol and I'm done. I've been there, done that. I'm yeah. moving on to something different. And that was the other pieces. I always would look at like, oh, I don't drink like my dad. I don't drink like this person. I don't, I don't have major consequences that I'm struggling with in my career or my personal relationships. So I can't have a problem. And then I just started to entertain this idea of, you know, what if you just decide that this is just not working for you anymore? Um, and so I really owe that a lot to my therapist. And then she recommended, why don't you read this book called This Naked Mind? That's awesome. Uh, totally. So I read it, Annie, and I loved it. Um, it really, what it made me do, your, what the book made me do is um, made me feel normal, number one, that I'm not abnormal that there's, a, there's millions of people around the world that struggle with their relationship with alcohol and that um, want to, you know, look at their relationship with alcohol in a different way. Um, and it just made me understand all of the science around how, the, how alcohol affects our brain um, and was just a totally different new perspective for me to understand my relationship with it. So I read the book. I can, I, you know, I read it, I think in like two days and I started, I started talking to people, like honestly talking to like friends and family. Like, I don't know. I think I might like be done with alcohol. Like, it's just not even cool to me anymore. There's so many other things I want to do in my life. I don't want this to be a focus anymore. And I just want to move on to a new chapter. And so I just started talking to a lot of friends and one of my friends recommended 12 steps. And I know that's not everyone's path and we have multiple paths to recovery, uh, multiple paths uh, to not even just recovery, but alcohol-free, let's call it alcohol-free, um, whatever you wanna call it. 
my path has been uh, 12 steps and I've, and I've loved it. And, um, you know, my journey is, is never going to end, you know, you know, people ask me all the time or, you know, my last drink was August uh, 5th, 2020. And people ask me all the time, are you happier? Are you happier? Mm. And for me, it's not like that. Um, it's it's going to be a lifelong journey. The word I will use is um, I love myself a lot more because mm. I trust myself a lot more. I have self-control now over a substance that no longer serves me. I know how the outcome will be for any given night. Um, and when you trust yourself, you, you love yourself. Um, and then from a physical level, like don't miss hangovers at all. So happy that substance is out of my system. Um, spiritually, I feel much more connected to my higher power. And as I mentioned, it's going to be a lifelong journey for me. Um, and I'm, and I'm so happy with my decision. And I'm so grateful, Annie, that your book really was the first door that opened to my ultimate path in, in giving up alcohol. I love that so much. Um, just out of curiosity, was there any, I love this so much because so often, uh, I mean, I'm, I agree with you that there's, there's just so many paths and there's so many ways. And unfortunately there can be so much division within just all the different ways, which is so unfortunate, but did you find any of that like contradictory nature or any division in kind of straddling both this naked mind and the 12 steps? So I read this naked mind um, before I went to my first meeting. Um, this naked mind just totally changed my mindset of how I looked at alcohol and made me just so curious. It lit this fire in me of like, I just want to evolve and evolve to my best self made me so curious that, you know, a friend basically was like, well, come to a meeting, check it out. Um, the only requirement is the desire to quit drinking. And so I was like, all right. And it's been a wonderful community for me. Um, you know, I think in any faucet of life, you know, you're going to have, you know, different opinions of how to meet the love of your life. Do you meet them online? Do you meet them in school? Do you meet them in um, college? I mean, sometimes in life, it's not binary. It's not black and white. There's multiple paths to improve your spirit, improve your being as a person. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. Sometimes it can be a combination of things that, that work for you. You know, everyone's different and everyone's path is going to look different. Um, but your philosophy and a lot of other philosophies out there that I follow, um, in parallel with, with 12 steps, um, is, is a part of the mix that, that works for me. So much. I love that. Um, and then another question, how has it been like socially, you know, you said you weren't even wanting to sort of date or being around people who weren't heavy drinkers. How is, how have your friendships evolved? It's so funny, Annie, because all the guys over my life that I didn't give the time of day to because they were just good men and, and not big drinkers. I would love 
one of those guys to come into my life now because those are the only kind of guys I would want to be with. Um, so it's just how I would, you know, excuse my partners in my past. I think a lot of it was, you know, coming from a lot of dysfunction. I was drawn to dysfunction and there's a lot more involved in that than just like the alcohol component with men, but I've really done a lot of work on myself where I'm choosing like really good people. And I hope to meet my person someday. Um, I would love that more than ever. Um, as far as friendships and social settings, at first it was a big deal to me. I remember in the beginning, like, what do I tell people if they ask me for a drink or like, when I'm back for Christmas with my big Italian family, you know, what do I tell them around not having a drink? At first, it was a really big deal to me. And now it's so funny because it's not a, even an issue to me at all. Um, now it's just like, oh, I'll take a water or I don't drink or a lot of times I'll bring my own. Um, you know, it's still showing up, you know, even in the tech world, I was at an event and the way we had to introduce ourselves was, well, the way they asked me to introduce myself was red or white, beer or fireball. Wow. <laughs> and then you say your name. And these are like executives. And I was, you know, alcohol free at this time. And it wasn't the place to tell them, hey, look, I'm a non-drinker. So I, I went with their game. But it's just so funny how it's just dump down our throat every angle you look it's it's just I'm really happy I'm aware of it because um I'll, I'll no longer buy into any of that anymore as far as friendships um what I will say is some of my greatest friends still drink um and they've been lifelong friends to me and there's, you know, a lot of my friends are still, you know, drink like I drink and, and I'm in no position to judge anyone on their drinking. I, I always feel like that's up to the person. Um, but a lot of those friendships are, are looking different now because a lot of those friendships we used to, you know, come over, crack a, a couple of bottles of wine and just, you know, do that where, um, I'm just uninterested in like having a social event around alcohol. It's just boring to me. Um, I'm just so beyond like bored with that. So it has changed the, for me, my true friends, I've really uh, kept, I will tell you, I have kind of phased out a couple friends in my life that haven't been supportive of, of my path. And that's okay. I mean, friends ebb and flow. Um, and the answer is I have friends that drink and friends that don't drink. I have family that drinks and family that don't drink. And I love them all. All I can do is share my experience, strength, and hope. And just keep, you know, taking this thing one day at a time. I love that so much. It's so cool. And it does evolve. And I, I think when you have just like I, what you're describing, I think is like an abundance mindset, like, the right person's going to walk into my life. The right friends are going to walk into my life. Everything is just kind of, you know, you you aren't focused at all on what you're what you are losing because you realize that that was just where you were and it's not where you're going. So I love that so much. That's wonderful. All right. So um, 
let me ask you the question that I always ask sort of at the end, which is if you're going to go back in time and tell Andrea about how life is like now, what would you tell her? I would say, Andrea, you're doing the best you can right now. I love you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you. You've been a part of my story as a human. Life without alcohol is better than you've ever imagined. You will find self, true self-love. You will find true spirituality. Um, you will no longer regret the past or, or wish to shut the door on it. And, um, you know, you're still a work in progress, but, you know, I really believe like potentially the best is yet to come. Oh, I love that. We actually have like a little plaque in our closet. My husband and I, it says, um, grow old along with me. The best is yet to be. And I, I just love that perspective of like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be tough times ahead, right? It's not all <laughs> hunky dory. Tough times will come in my life. Right. But I'm not going to turn to that drink to get through it. You know, I am building my coping mechanisms to be able to get through anything in life, taking the edge off, having fun, celebrating, getting through stress, just by being Andrea, the way I was born with, with no alcohol in hand. Which we were not born to just drink alcohol. You know, we live as if we were, but there isn't like some instruction that says food, water, and booze. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been such a pleasure, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Thanks, Annie. Hey, it's Annie Grace. I want to tell you about the most important book that I never wrote. And I mean that. This is This Naked Life. It's 48 true stories of people finding freedom from alcohol. And it's so inspiring. It's our stories, as you know from this podcast, that truly change us, that revolutionize what we believe is possible for ourselves. So it's This Naked Life. You can find it on Amazon or check it out online. Even download it 100% free at nakedlifestories.com. And every single copy that you buy, all the proceeds are 100% committed to keeping the alcohol experiment forever free for anybody who needs it. So check it out. It's such an inspirational book. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.